tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, happy Feast of St. Andrew, about which we will talk. So at any rate, why I say that all the time, at any rate. But at any rate, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. St. Andrew, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's do it. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. In any event? In any event? Did I say that? In any event? No, you didn't. I was just giving you an alternative to it. Oh, in any event. Okay. Well, that'll work. I'll work on it. All right. uh, uh, Let's just talk a little bit about St. Andrew. It's very interesting because his name is a Greek name, though he is clearly Jewish. He's the the brother of uh, Simon Peter. And... They don't give us an Aramaic or Hebrew version of his name uh, in the scriptures. And it's very interesting. To this day, uh, Jewish people tend to have two names. They have their Hebrew name and their non-Hebrew name. Uh, and I believe that like, if um, uh, your Hebrew name starts with H, Hezekiah, for instance, which I think in Hebrew would be Hezekiah, you might be called Harry. You know, that that kind of thing that uh, uh, Yitzhak, which starts with a, a Yod, which is a kind of an I-Y thing, mm, you know, Irving, that's that's kind of how it works. But there's no there's no Hebrew name for for uh, Andrew. And, and the name Andrew uh, is from the Greek word for manly or uh, valiant and, and brave. So uh, and. Uh, Andros is the genitive form of of, of Andrew in in of, of the word man in 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 Greek, but that has nothing to do with anything. So um, it's kind of interesting that that um, and I've said this quite a bit that we forget how very Greek the world was back then. And Galilee was called Galilee of the nations. It was surrounded by non-Jews. It it had it had been. Re, uh, re-Judaized, re-Israelitized, uh, re-Hebraicized, 
pick your word. Uh, in the century before Christ, that the that uh, the Maccabee kings had had gradually uh, extended their rule over most of what had been the kingdom of David, and uh, Galilee had been uh, kind of resettled by Jewish people. Uh, uh, Samaria, they they kind of went around it, but uh, that's kind of the history. So there's a certain openness. And I think it's reasonable to think that these people spoke some Greek. Um, the, the, uh, there were, there were Greek cities all over the place. Uh, so I just, just a, a reference that, that this was the springboard for a universal church, uh, for a church that would, would start w- with the Greek language, speaking Greek, because it was the universal language. Greek was spoken from Germany to Ethiopia. It was spoken from Spain to India. It, it was, uh, there were Greek-speaking cities in, in southern France. Uh, and in Rome itself, a, a city of all, a population of almost a million, perhaps half of the people, had Greek as their first language. That would have been, you would have heard more Greek in ancient Rome than Latin. Um, I mean, Roman, a Roman of the Romans, as they called themselves, would have spoken Latin, of course. But it's like so many cities now. We forget how very uh, fluid the the uh, immigration and uh, uh, cultural situation was the time of Christ. And I think that was part of the plan of God that, that uh, to create a universal church, he created a universal culture. Uh, and that culture was Greco-Roman. Uh, but the language that spread it was, well, Greek. All right, well, let's get to the actual readings because these are, these are tough readings. Let's see here. Okay, of course, I've got the wrong day, but let me... Click ahead there. Good grief. All right. Good grief. All right. Here we are. And again, the brothers and sisters is not part of the text, and I do not know why they put that in there. But Nip it just in me. the bud. I wish we would. All right. Um, Matthew, let's look at the gospel quickly uh, first, because it's going to take a little time to talk about the, the first reading. It's a very, I, I think, a very difficult reading. Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. Uh, Then he walked along and he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Now, we see elsewhere that they were mending the nets with the hired men. I I think this is kind of interesting that... uh, 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 James and John, uh, they came from people who, well, were prosperous. Um, we always think of the of the, the apostles as being poor men. Some were, some weren't. Um, uh, the 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 um, let's see here. <clears throat> I want to pull that up. Uh, we see in the Gospel of Mark. We see it said again. Um, but I think it is in the gospel of, uh, is it in the gospel of John or the gospel of Luke? Let's see. Um, we see that they, they left their nets, uh, and they left, oh, I, I should have looked this up. Uh, James, uh, they left the, the hired men. So these, this wasn't just a, a fisherman. This was a little bit of a fishing fleet. They were prosperous people. And there's a strong possibility. Now I would say a probability that they were related to Jesus as as cousins or second cousins that that they were part of his his family group and uh, 
Oh, yes, certainly. Uh, you have a question with your voice in my head. Do you think that's why they would have gotten up so early and followed Jesus because they already knew who he was? I don't know because other members of the family didn't. They didn't accept him and didn't follow him until things started looking good. Um, I think one of the reasons it's very clear that John, the beloved disciple, had a relationship with John the Baptist. He had been a student of John the Baptist. And, and uh, you see, the, the, the probability, the possibility, I don't know about probability, but I, would, I, I think it's probable um, that John was from a priestly family. We see that our Blessed Mother had uh, roots in the family of David and in the family of Aaron which is kind of significant because uh, the Jews have always expected two messiahs. There's the Messiah, son of Joseph, the Messiah, son of David. But this was among the, the priestly families. There was this idea that there would be a Messiah, son of Aaron, a descendant of Aaron, a high priest and Messiah, son of David. And Jesus combines his name would have been son of Joseph, but in, in his humanity, he, he combines the families of the priestly families of Aaron and the priestly family of, uh, or the kingly family of David. Uh, I think that's kind of interesting because our blessed mother was descended from David. And we see she was a kinswoman to Elizabeth who was from the family of, 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 of Levi, of the, of, well, of Aaron, the priests. So I, you know, it's, it's, it, they were very careful with these genealogies. And I think Herod tried to destroy the genealogies because he didn't have much of a genealogy. He was actually kind of a, uh, an Edomite. Uh, and, uh, he didn't like other people having better genealogies, but the point being that, <clears throat> you know, as, as to your question, I think it's, it's interesting that Jesus chose relatives who were not closer relatives. Remember, we, we do have to deal with the idea of the, the brothers of, of the Lord. And, uh, you know, that, that these could have been cousins. Um, uh, in the Eastern Church, they, they many, many, uh, I think in the Orthodox Church, they, they look at the, uh, the uh, come on, Brian, the uh, uh, Proto-Evangelion of St. James, which seems to indicate that that these were children of Joseph by a first wife who had died. We in the Western church maintain, know that they were cousins. And I think there's good biblical evidence for that, but they were closer relatives and they tried to, we see that they tried to, uh, uh, use their, their closeness to Jesus, their, their familial closeness to Jesus as a sort of, uh, clout as a sort of, uh, expression of authority. And, and we read about them in early church literature and we read about them in the epistles. Do not the brothers of the Lord go about with, with their wives. And so there were brothers of the Lord who I suspect uh, seemed to think that they were going to be in charge. And Jesus asked James and John, who I suspect were relatives, but not as close relatives, to follow him. He didn't, he didn't make any of his own, well, probably didn't make any of his own immediate family. The people would have considered him as immediate family, uh, though Mary had only one child and that was Jesus. That is clear from scripture and from tradition. But um, these other people were not invited into the, the leadership group. And I think that was pointed because in, in so many religious movements, uh, you got to be descended from the founder to run things. And, uh, 
or the family to run things. It, uh, the religion becomes a, a family business. We see that in other Middle Eastern religions. And, and Jesus uh, didn't start a, a church that was to be a kind of hereditary leadership, but an apostolic leadership. And I think that's very pertinent to the feast. He called these people who were not his relatives and people who were not his closest relatives to follow him. So they were followers. Uh, James and John seem to have been followers of John the Baptist and uh I think that's that's one of the reasons. So I don't know if that answers your question, but moving along. It does. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Let's get to the first reading, because this is a very controversial reading. There is something called the sinner's prayer, which is just fine. It's a lovely prayer. And you, you admit that you're a sinner. You ask Jesus to come into your heart and forgive your sins and save you. And there's little books about how to share the sinner's prayer with people and uh you will find uh, people who will go to a party and get you in a corner until you say the sinner's prayer. Uh, they won't let you alone. And then when you said it, they're fine. Goodbye. You're saved. That's nuts. But it rests on this passage of Scripture. And I think it rests on a very faulty interpretation of this passage of Scripture. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Okay, let me hear you confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart, okay, do you believe that Jesus was raised in the dead? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Okay, you're saved. You know, just say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. It's not a bad prayer to pray. It's a lot like the prayer we say in the rosary uh, five or six times. Oh, Jesus, through the, uh, oh, Jesus, oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. We're asking Jesus to save us. I always say that if... If they're right about the sinner's prayer, then any Catholic who says the rosary is going to heaven. If they're wrong, there's a lot of people who think they're going to heaven who aren't. And let's look at this passage a little bit with a fine-tooth comb. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. All right, what's the word confess? Homologen is the Greek word. It means to agree, which is essentially what 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 um, uh, the word confession in Latin means. Well, what are you agreeing with? Well, God's judgment that you're a sinner in confession. To confess your sins means to admit them, to agree with God's judgment that you're a sinner. So if you're agreeing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this is the letter to the Romans. We talked about this extensively not long ago. And I believe the letter to the Romans is the founding document of the Roman church because the <clears throat> Jews, among whom the Christians would have been counted, were thrown out of Rome around the year 50 AD by the Emperor Claudius because they were writing about one Christus. In other words, they were writing probably about the Messiah, and he threw them all out. Well, Claudius had died, uh, poisoned by his wife, who was also his niece. <laughs> Interesting people. Um, the um, uh, Nero had been made emperor, and Nero's Nero's wife, who he'd stolen from his best friend Otto. Um, was kind of interested in things Jewish. So the Jews were allowed back in. Jews are coming back into Rome. And Paul writes this letter to say, you can get along. You can you can respect each other. That's why he says, in the midst of this, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. So understand that, that this is not just a passage about how to get saved. It's a passage on, on uh, how we become right with God. Well, which is not unrelated to salvation, but let's get back to it. If you admit, if you agree with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, St. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This word Lord is a very loaded word. 
It in Hebrew is Adonai. A Jew to this day will not pronounce Y H W H. It is forbidden in the at the time of Christ. That word Y H W H was pronounced only by the high priest on the feast of Yom Kippur as he stood in the Holy of Holies, and I believe said it three times. When a Jew sees YHWH in the text of Scripture, he says, if he's praying, if he's in a religious service, he says, Adonai. He will not say uh, uh, YHWH. You combine the vowels in Adonai with the consonants YHWH, and you get Jehovah, a made-up word which I don't think existed before the 12th century. But uh, that is not the name of God, Jehovah. Uh, Adonai is a, is a substitute word used in prayer. If they're not praying, they will say heaven, like Shmaim, or they'll say Hashem, the name. But this, this word Adonai, it means Lord, Mr. in Hebrew is Adon, just like Senor in Spanish can mean Mr. or can mean Lord. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Y-H-W-H, in other words, Jesus is the God who spoke to Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. What? A Jewish carpenter born in a barn? Executed by the Romans for treason? You're saying that that is YHWH, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob? The God of Moses? The God of our fathers? Mm-hmm. So if you agree with your mouth, if you publicly agree, now he's saying this, to a bunch of Jews and Greeks who are calling themselves as followers of Christ in Rome who are not getting along. And he's saying, you're agreeing with each other that, that this Jesus of Nazareth, whom we worship, is in fact God. Let's move on. And believe in your heart. You know, I'm always telling you that to use the word believe means to trust. If you trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead... I don't trust in my heart, and I bet neither do you. I mean, in the deepest part of you, do you have an absolute confidence that Jesus was... Yeah, I think Jesus was raised from the dead. Like I said, I've been to the tomb. And when I'm at Mass, I have no problem believing Jesus is raised from the dead because he's there. But, you know, you think resurrection from the dead, that's a tough one. Life after death, eternal life. If you believe in the deepest part of your heart, the deepest part of your being, that in fact, Jesus conquered death, it's going to change the way you live. You know, why am I not generous? Because I don't think there'll be enough for me. Why am I not brave? Because what if something bad happens to me? If you believe in your deepest self that Jesus conquered death, and that by accepting him as your Lord, as the God of your life, and obeying him, if you accept that, then... You have nothing, nothing to be afraid of. I can preach a good game. <laughs> but when it comes really, when, you know, when, when the rubber meets the road, as they say, I'm a worry wart. You follow? I can only repeat what the, 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 the father of, of, of a child whom Jesus healed said. He has said, do you believe? Do you trust? I trust, Lord. Help my lack of trust. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. So uh, uh, that's why he goes on to say there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
admitting that this Jesus is the creator of the universe, the hand of God by which the stars were set to spinning, believing this and, and, and believing that he conquered death in, in, your, in the deepest part of you, then it's going to change everything and you will be saved. Trusting in the deep, deepest part of your heart will justify you. And what is justification? It's being made it's being conformed to the image of Christ, love and peace and patience and joy. The, the justice, the, 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 the righteousness of God is merciful, generous, and honest. And that's what you're going to become. So I think that to understand this as just something, uh, um, well, you say these words and you say that you, you, you believe Jesus rose from the dead and you're going to heaven. I think that that is just ridiculous. But the process of conversion in which you come to realize that Jesus is in fact who he claims to be and you trust in your heart that the reality of the divine raised him from the dead makes it sound like Jesus and God aren't the same thing. Translate it, be a little loose with the translation, the reality of divinity, theos. You see, in the ancient world, they had lots of gods. This idea uh, uh, it, it's kind of hard for us to put ourselves in that environment, but raising your heart that the believe in your heart that the divine reality of which Jesus is part raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So, you know, look at this more deeply and understand trust in the deepest part of you that God raised him from the dead. Agree that he's in fact the creator of the universe. This will change who you are. All right, we're going to go to a break. We will come back with letters. And uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We will be back. Today, we'd like to thank Steve, who is listening in Wisconsin, for donating his 1981 Kawasaki motorcycle. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. What is this? What is the time is now from your hippie youth? Oh, from my hippie. Yes, that's the arrogance. We are the dawning of the age of Aquarius. That hasn't worked. How's that worked out for you? Yeah, my generation was incredibly arrogant. We were going to save the world, and everybody said, oh, you're going to save the world. Well, guess what? Ain't saved yet. Well, it is saved through Christ. But I digress. Let us now go to letters. I have a letter here that I really don't want to go into a, a great deal, um, and I'm not going to mention any names, but it points out that there's a distant relative who was one of the inadvertent founders of, um, of Scientology, and uh, which grew out of a satanic temple in Los Angeles. So I don't want to mention, it's a rather complicated letter about genealogy. I, my genealogy is very simple. I did all those, those tests and things. And my, my 
gene pool is like a, a 10 block square, a 10 square block area near the Dutch border. I mean, I'm really boring. I was able to trace my ancestors way back because they never did anything important and they got to bed early and stayed in the same place. I come from a long line of very undistinguished people. So moving along, let's see here. Uh, let's see here. All right. All right. Let's see here. All right. Okay. Hello, Father. I was looking over the 15 promises of the rosary, number 13. I've obtained from my divine son that all advocates of the rosary shall have for intercessors the entire celestial court during their life and at the hour of death. Who or what is the celestial court? Why, it's the saints and the angels. That's the celestial court. It's in the, the court of a king. You know, read about it in the book of Revelation. So that that's kind of a simple one. It's the, the entire uh, gathering of saints and angels and those and the church on earth who are saints. I got a, a letter uh, that was sent uh, uh, to, you know, to Lincolnshire, to the, to the office, um, uh, about why these beyond back experiences, they don't mention purgatory. Oh, yes, they do. Um, but I have a theory that purgatory and judgment are the same exact thing. I have met so many people who've had this experience that they experience all the pain they caused. This is purgatory. It is a place of cleansing. It is a process of cleansing more than a place. And I believe it is the same thing as judgment. Uh, what judgment in the Hebrew sense is to set right what has been uh, disturbed by sin. So uh, I would say purgatory is most certainly mentioned. So, all right, let's see here today. Um... All right, let's see what this one is. Oh, good grief. Um, I have a question. Uh, hold on, let me make sure this person doesn't want to be anonymous. This is from uh, Trinity. Hello, Father Simon. I have a question uh, from the Bible. First uh, Corinthians thirteen sixteen says, Be on guard, stay firm in faith, and be courageous, uh, be strong. Is that building a relationship or just faith in Jesus? What does it mean? Oh dear, well, it's it's. I think it's kind of obvious. Uh, he's saying to to a group of people. Remember that that um, the um, there's great opposition to the message of Jesus among the people who to whom he preached. You know that that Israel at first did not really warm up to the gospel message. Um, Ultimately, it did. People say, why didn't the Jews accept Christ? Well, over the first two centuries, according at least to uh, 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 Dr. Uh, oh, why can't I think of his name? Rodney Stark. It seems that many, if not most, Jews in the, in the Greco-Roman world did acknowledge Christ as Messiah. And you can tell that by tombstone inscriptions, oddly enough, and things like that, and lists. Um, that... that uh, but there was tremendous opposition uh, to this guy declaring himself uh, Messiah. And so uh, these words make, make great sense. This is even, this is written before the general persecutions had, had begun. Um, the, the, um, in its context, this is part of the concluding exhortations of 1 Corinthians. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was not at all inclined to go uh, now, but 
he will go when he has the opportunity. So until he gets there, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Good advice. Uh, let me just quickly look at something in Greek here where it says, um, be brave. It really means, uh, um, you know, it, it, keep your eyes open. Stand firm. Stand in the in the faith. <clears throat> be men. Be strong. It's 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 Apollos is going to come help you out and give you instruction. But till then, just be strong. That's I, I hope that answers your question and and um, it explains uh, what it means. Let me look at my time here. How am I doing? Oh, I'm I'm good. All right. This is. Um, Another one here. All right. Uh, this is a fun one. This is uh, from Thomas in Minneapolis. Luke fifteen four talks about the shepherd leaving the 99 to find one lost sheep. You mentioned that way back in the day when shepherds had fencers. Oh, they still do have fencers. They might need to break a leg. So the sheep realized it needs a shepherd. Will you please comment on your take in this regard? Genesis thirty two twenty five, where Jacob is. Oh, this is good. I don't think I have to comment at all. Where Genesis thirty two twenty five, where Jacob is wrestling with a man, Jacob, who was given the name Israel, and had his thigh put out of joint. Also, it was a, a sort of Jacob slash Israel being the spokesman for the people, and its effect passed on through the years, uh, being a reminder of the original sin that Adam and Eve passed on to their children. This is wonderful, Thomas. Um, uh, the the um, uh, I think this is great stuff. Okay, let me explain. I was told that that uh, you got a problem with sheep. You have what you call fencers. In other words, they will find a hole in the fence and they will go out. And sheep, when they see the backside of another sheep, they just start following. Sheep are great followers. And so you will get a fencer going out and he's a danger to the whole flock, not just to himself. Uh, but sheep are very valuable. I remember talking to a shepherd about this. No, no, you, 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 if you, a sheep goes out, you would go looking for it because sheep are valuable animals. I would have thought, meh, I got 99, big deal. One's lost. They, he said, no, they're very valuable. You, you, you'll go looking for that sheep. But if it is someone who is constantly going astray and thus endangering the whole flock, you got to do something. And I was told that, uh, in days past, you would break a leg. And then I was talking to a, a, a seminarian uh, in the Southwest at some banquet or other, and his family were cattle ranchers, and they had sheep also. And he said, well, what you used to do is just shoot them in the leg. And we don't do that anymore because it's against, you know, animal cruelty is, is not, that's considered animal cruelty, and it's not done. But it isn't really animal cruelty. It, it's It's... You know, God may hurt you, but he will never harm you. Just as a good parent may take you to get your shots and it hurts and you're scared as a kid. Why is mommy and daddy doing this to me? They they may hurt you, but they, they their intention is not to harm you. And and um, I think that's a beautiful idea that, that uh, Jacob was struck by the Lord and uh, uh, and as a reminder that Jews to this day do not eat the sciatic nerve, Ashkenazi Jews, European Jews, will not eat meat from the bottom half of the animal because 
they might inadvertently eat the sciatic nerve, which is forbidden to them. Whereas Sephardis, in other words, uh, Sephardis and Mizrahi Jews, these are the ones who come from the Mediterranean, from Arab countries, their butchers were so skilled that they could cut around the sciatic nerve. Uh, and they will eat meat if it's if it's definitely kosher from that part of the animal. But it's a constant reminder of, of Jacob being struck by the angel of the Lord wrestling with him. Uh, so I think it's very interesting. It's a very, very good point that uh, just as uh, the sheep, uh, the sheep, <laughs> wandering sheep need to be struck. And boy, Jacob, he was a wandering sheep. He he was he got out of uh, the Holy Land because uh, his brother wanted to kill him. And then he got out of northern Iraq because his in-laws wanted to kill him. So he was always upsetting people and having to hit the road. Let me do one more letter here. Let me see if I can get this one. This is someone, um, again, I, I, I agreed with Dr. Hahn about uh, the sons of God were the sons of the covenant. And I keep getting letters, you know, I have no idea I wasn't there. Uh, the sons of God, there are a number of ways to understand it. Angels seem to be called the sons of God. Uh, the members of the covenant seem to be called the sons of God. I wasn't there. I do not know what the monsters of old were, or the heroes of old, or any of that sort of thing. All right. So, I, I, you know, you can send me letters, but I, I moved on from that topic. All right. Let us go to a break. We will come back with our word of the day, and uh, we will open the phones at 8, or the phones are open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. If you have real estate or land you no longer need, consider the advantage of donating it to Relevant Radio. The process is easy. The tax advantages can be huge. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash property. Are you lost in sin, my brother? Can't you hear God calling you? His voice is coming down from heaven, and His words are kind and true. Amen. His words are kind and true. All right. Well, let us move on here to the word of the day. Um. Um, 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 in the reading today, we read, if I can find it, that uh, the scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. That's kind of an interesting word, actually. The word, uh, if I can, I just click my computer and think that I now have lost this thing. Oh, good grief. Where did I put it? Oh, bother. <laughs> oh, bother. I, I looked it up and I got it ready and now I can't find it. Are you kidding me right now? No, I'm not. I'm not. Well, I, I will, I will uh, uh, just digress a little. No, I can't. I can't Which word it. is Where it? I put it. It's uh, be put to shame. It's a kind of interesting word. It, it isn't exactly be put to shame. It's, it means more than that. Okay. And of course, it is totally gone. Hey. So how have you all been? Well, I uh, see if I can find this. I looked it up, and I had it on my computer. My computer ate it. I don't like computers that much, but they don't like me either. Okay. I got it now. You can stop entertaining people with with elevator music. All right. But that's a better class of elevator music. Okay. Um, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Well, the word in shame is 
Kat Aiskun Thesetai, which it really means, it can also mean be disappointed. Um, anyone, uh, or be put to utter confusion, to frustrate. Um, it, it can it can mean to disappoint, to be deceived. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you know, you've heard the saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. That's the idea the, of the shame, that that I'm embarrassed because I've been lied to and I believe the lie. You're not. It's not going to happen to you if you put your faith in Jesus. And I think that's a good thing to know. That said, let us go now to phone calls. Maria, what's your favorite color? Let's go to Guadalupe, who's calling in from... Uh, uh, oh, I should put my glasses on there. She's calling in from El Sen, California. Oh, I've never heard that. What can I do for you? Hi, um, I have a question. Uh, I've been divorced for about nine years, and yeah. uh, currently my ex-husband has the right to see our son. My son's yeah. autistic, first of all. And yesterday, oh. my son came back from his dad's visit, telling me that his dad said he's going to kill himself. Now, um, the- now my ex-husband is homeless, and he's asking me to help him. I know as a Christian, I'm supposed to help him out. What do I do? Oh, gosh. That's a tough one. I mean, legally, he's allowed to see your son. But any kind of help that you would give your ex-husband, which I think is a fine thing to do if you're in a position to help, any kind of help should not expose your son to that treatment uh, more. In other words, inviting him to come live at, at home, I don't know that that would be wise. Um, uh how old is your ex-husband? Uh, he's 43. 43. Is your son close to him or not? Oh, they're really, they're really close. Um, I recently got um, conservatorship on my son, which mm-hmm. gives me the right and authority to say, no, you can't see him. But the fact that my son makes his little face and he misses his dad, I yeah. don't want to take that yeah, from I, him. No, I think you're wise not to. Um. Gosh, this is a really difficult problem. Uh, I, I don't think you're obliged to expose your son to greater harm. Now, if if his dad is serious about this, which is probably not so, you know. Um, wow, I you know I, I this this is I'm trying to think what I would do in the situation. If if I had the financial resources, I would I would help him find a place. I imagine you probably don't have those financial resources though. Um, is his dad working? He's working, yes. Um, but like I'm struggling, and okay, the reason yes. why we got divorced is because we were constantly fighting, bickering. So of course, I wanted yeah. to hurt him. He wanted to hurt me. So I thought the best thing is is it takes a stronger person to walk away from a fight than to continue and fight for it. Well. So, I decided he's working. My, my my question here is why doesn't he have a place to live if he's working? Because he was living with his mother, but because he gets his little tantrums, he doesn't get his way and he leaves. He just disappears. Well, he can go back to his mother then. Would she take him in again? Excuse me? Would his mother take him in again? Yes. I talked to his well, then, mom. Then, then, then. Then you're off the hook. You say, "Go back to your mom." You know, I wouldn't. Rest- I wouldn't uh, deny visitation 
to his son because it's important to his son. Um, but I would, I would, I would talk to someone about maybe supervised visitation. Um, but they say, you know, go back to your mom. Uh, if you need help to get back to your mom, I will help you. But, you know, he wants what he wants. And, and at that point, there's not much you can do about it. So I would encourage him to go back to his mom. And uh, I would make sure that the visitation was was well supervised. That's the best I can, best advice I can give you. And I will be praying for you, Guadalupe. It's That's a difficult situation. So, all right. God bless. And, and uh, man, it's just... Yeah, if he's got an opportunity to live with his mom and maybe help his mom out, you know, um, he needs conversion. That's what he needs. He needs to come closer to Christ and to to forgive the people who've hurt him. So I will be praying for you, Guadalupe. Let's go to Chrissy from Chesterton, uh, Maryland. Chester, uh, Chrissy, what can I do for you? Yes, good afternoon, Father. I love your show, and Thank I you. appreciate very much that you're on air. My question is the following, uh, given today's uh, uh, reading about Jesus picking his disciples. And I've always wondered, when he picked Judas, did he know what was going to happen? You know, I suspect he did, because the scripture says elsewhere that he knew what was in the hearts of men. So, uh, you know, he would have, he wouldn't have picked Judas just sort of bolt out of the blue. Uh, he knew what was in the hearts of men. So he would have known, uh, uh, you can hear me clicking away. He would have known, uh, that, that Judas was going to betray him. That's John two twenty five, And that's early on in the gospel of John. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in, in each person's heart. That's John 2.25. So I suspect, yeah, you know, God knows my sinfulness and still he chose me. I I, I wouldn't have, <laughs> but he did. So does that answer your question? I know. And I have, I've had another question about Judas many years ago, what is that? 30, mm-hmm. over 30 years ago. I was a catechist and I taught second mm-hmm. grade catechism. And one mm-hmm. of the children in my class, we're on the passion talking about what happened with Judas and that he killed himself. Um, this child asked me, do you think he was forgiven? Do you? Th-? And you I, know, I mean, my answer to a second grader at that time was absolutely yes. But I've always wondered that. Answer. Well, I, I, I would say that God did not see God doesn't cease to love the sinner. And remember, love is to do to will the good of someone. Um, and it is interesting that the church will canonize saints, but it's never said definitively that anyone's in hell, even Judas, uh, though I suspect that hell is uh, not empty, uh, but I just don't want to go there myself. Uh, so, uh, you know, we don't know. The answer is we don't know. Um, I think mm-hmm. kind of sugarcoating it for a little kid is probably smart. So we don't know. Okay. It's quite possible that Judas, when he realized what he'd done, was was genuinely repentant and the Lord would have forgiven him. So who knows? We'll find out okay. when we get there, God willing. All right. God bless. God and thanks for calling Thank in, so Chrissy. Much, Amen. God bless you. All right. Bye, Don from Los Angeles, what can I do for you? Good morning, Father Simon. Uh, yes. I have a friend who's an evangelical 
And they always tell me that you simply need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And they always yes. uh, cite, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your yeah. heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what they always tell me is the sure. only thing needed for salvation. So how do I refute him? Well, he's right. It's just he's reading it badly. My whole first section, have him listen to the first part of the show, that, that you know, in the deepest part of his being, does he really trust, and that's what the word believe means, does he really trust that Jesus uh, came back to life, that he was raised from the dead? If he does, then why is he, for instance, uh, uh, um, you know, that I don't know your friend, but... but uh, the person who who says, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and then behaves in a way that's selfish or ungenerous, um, he's not believing in his heart. He's believing in his head. I, what I would say to him is, oh, yeah, if you believe in your heart that, that, that God raised him from the dead, are you believing in your heart or are you believing in your head? In other words, if you believe in your head, you'll join a certain church and do certain things. But if you believe in your heart, you will tra- your life will be transformed. You'll become generous and loving and kind and patient. And not many people really believe in their heart. They're believing in their head. So you can tell them you're right. If you believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But are you believing in your heart or your head? How has it changed your life? Does it make you go to church or does it make you give to the poor? Does it make you observe certain religious requirements or... Does it make you love your enemies? You're believing in your head. That's not going to save you. The heart is the deepest part of the person. So I hope that helps a little, Don. And uh, uh, just let him know that the word believe does not mean to have an opinion. It means to trust. That's what the word means. All right. I hope that helps a little. Thank you, Father. You're welcome, Don. Let's go to Jesse, who's calling in from New York, New York. What can I do for you? Hello, 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 Father. Jesse. What? Yes. What can I do for you? Yeah. Thank you. I have a question uh, about the prayer before the crucifix, mm-hmm. uh, yes. where it says here, David, recalling to mind the words which David said, "They have pierced my hands, my feet. Hands they have numbered yes. all yes. my bones." Um, yes. In what context did he? like sort of utter this prayer because I, I, I love the Psalms that there are, you know, Thanksgiving and supplications sure. and stuff, but, but this kind of like premonition or, 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 or something, how, how would you explain it, please? It's a prophecy. You know, how would I explain the, the, the seers of, uh, Fatima knowing about uh, the Second World War <laughs> when the First World War was going on. Uh, this is Psalm 22. It's a very, very, uh, it's a very uh, detailed prophecy of uh, of the crucifixion and and of the resurrection. You know, uh, um, the, the it starts out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And when when a Jew, just like a Catholic, if, if the if if I stand up in in front of the congregation and say I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, everybody joins in, Maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ is only, they they join right in. 
with the Nicene Creed. You see, Jews had the Psalms memorized, and Jesus from from the cross, he's hanging there, and he shouts the first line of the Psalm, Psalm 22. And they must have been horrified when they realized that they had inadvertently, those who crucified him, had inadvertently fulfilled the prophecy of David regarding the the um, um, the crucifixion. It was a matter of a, of a prophetic vision. That That's how prophecy happens. So I don't know if that answers your question, but Oh, yeah, that's sure it did, because I also had it in my question about well, why have you forsaken me? And so these are prophecies yeah. that is, uh, has been foreseen by him. Thank you so much, yes. Father. Yes, and, 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 and the, psalm, the psalm goes on to talk about, yet will I praise you among the living. In other words, it prophesies the resurrection also. So God never forsook Jesus. It didn't happen. He didn't abandon him. So, all right, well, thanks for calling in. Let's go to William Uh from Warwick, Rhode Island. What can I do for you, William? Oh, dear. I, oh, what is it like in Purgatory? I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> but I, I have met people who say they experience all the pain they've caused. And I think we need to think of Purgatory, you know, not so much as a place. If you read the Catechism about Purgatory, it isn't so much a place as a process. And, and as I said, I, I think it's judgment. Um, I love what C.S. Lewis says about Purgatory. And he's not a Catholic. Uh, I love what C.S. Lewis says. Um, in uh, um, the screw tape letters that uh, that and, and I remember talking to an exorcist about this that the fire of purgatory is the fire of God's love that burns away everything in us that isn't light and love will stand before the light of God and at first it will be a shock and just as when somebody turns on the overhead light it's turn that thing off it hurts but when gradually that light and that love will burn away everything in us that isn't that isn't love and light, and we will be instructed <laughs> on our mistakes. We will experience the pain we caused, not as punishment, but as instruction, as cleansing, as preparation. So that said, speaking of cleansing and preparation, Drew is coming up, and I still have 45 seconds. The the uh, the voice in my head tells me, what can I tell you in 45 seconds that's kind of fun? Do you have a Let's joke for the crowd? Here. Do I have a joke? Oh... Not really, not at the moment. You got to think about jokes. There's so few jokes that a clergyman can tell. Um, oh, thank God! There's music in my head. Saved by the bell. I'm sure Drew will tell you a joke. Saved by the bell. All right. Good to be with you, and and uh, God willing, we'll be together again tomorrow.